1: Here are your host for The Heart of Innovation, Emmy Award-winning journalist and founder of The Way to My Heart, Kim McNicholas, and interventional cardiologist and founder of the Save My Piggies Health Education Series, Dr. John Phillips.
2: Hi, everyone, and welcome to The Heart of Innovation. Today, we are hoping that we are going to give you some incredibly life and hopefully potentially limb-saving information that could come from a moment of unexpected illness where you could end up with yourself or a family member that has presented with a urinary tract infection with COVID or another respiratory illness and suddenly ends up in the ICU, the intensive care unit on multiple machines to keep you alive. But you don't know in that moment. And you're not ready in that moment to make a decision to say, hey, I know there might be side effects. So don't do it right now. Because we worry about the side effects. That's not even going to come up. It's going to be, save my family member's life, save my life, whatever you can do, and let's hope and pray that those side effects never happen. And we have a family member of someone who ended up with one of the most extreme side effects to one of the machines and one of the medications, and she is going to share her family's story. So this is going to be a very powerful hour. That you literally cannot miss. So with that, Dr. Phillips. Wow. Hey Kim.
3: How this are
4: you? It's
2: gonna be a very emotional hour, I think.
4: Yeah, I I this is gonna be heavy, but heavy in a good way. It, it to your point, doing what we do, we see patients and family members who are quite vulnerable. They were seemingly quote normal you know, maybe an hour ago and now all of a sudden right. the world is, is flipped on its head and decisions need to be made. And there's a lot of trust that has to be put in the medical field yes. with physicians, nurses, et cetera. And you have to kind of acquiesce some of the control that maybe you're used to having and and just trust people and, and hope that uh, they, they can help you. I remember early, early in my career, I was on call and I got called in for a patient who was arresting in the hospital and I came in and clearly the patient was having a heart attack and we um, took him to the catheterization laboratory. So we were looking at his arteries in the heart. He was very sick and we actually put the patient on what's called ECMO, which I think we're going to be talking about and we can get into it uh, in, in a little more in depth in the show. But basically, when you get put on ECMO, you're your body, your heart and lungs are being bypassed by yeah. the machine. And I remember <clears throat> telling, you know, we, we kind of got the patient through it, but he was gravely ill. And I remember going talking to his wife and she looked at me and said, well, are we still going to be able to go to Thailand next week? <laughs> and I.
2: Oh, wow. And I. Next oh, week. Yes. Week later. And, yeah. Wow.
4: And I was. I didn't really know what to say, but it just, you know, I didn't, I, and after a while you have a, a while you can process the whole thing and you, you just totally understand that these folks have no clue what's going on and they're just scared and vulnerable. And the, their reality is is, is no longer what it used to be and they're not thinking straight. And so that as a physician and a, and, an, and a, and a, you know, extender of healthcare, You just have to make decisions for people uh, and do what's in their best interest. So looking forward to speaking with Jenny. Uh, I know it's going to be a difficult conversation to have, but hopefully our audience will learn something from it because I know I will.
2: So should we start with a moment of inspiration from you? I guess so. (laughs)
0: Dr. John Phillips, spectacular, vascular moment of inspiration. (laughs) Are you ready, Kim?
2: I am ready. I'm always ready for your moment of inspiration.
4: Uh, all right, thank you. So, uh, this is a quote from a, uh, a a physicist who is a Nobel laureate, and it's a little bit heavy. His name is Richard Feynman. F e y n m a n, and and he is now he's kind of talking about the importance of um, scientific integrity and and having some skepticism, but he says. And he's quoted saying, the first principle is that you must not fool yourself, and you are the easiest person to fool. And I think that it speaks to when you conduct scientific research, um, you want to make sure you're vigilant in identifying mistakes, correcting mistakes, making sure you're not making false assumptions. Uh, but I also think it's kind of philosophical in the sense that – you can kind of convince yourself of almost anything sometimes, and you have right. to be aware of that. And and in these situations, when when mom or dad is gravely ill, things can happen and people can get convinced of they can go down these rabbit holes and it's important to have some healthy skepticism. But again, it's also important to, to kind of trust the, the people that are taking care of your loved one and hope and, and understand, too, that everybody is working in their best interest and in trying to help them.
2: They try. And and one of the issues that we're dealing with is I think that our healthcare system overall, especially since COVID, is overburdened. They're short-staffed. And everyone who is on staff right now, they're trying their best, but they can't always be there. They're trying to be there. And so, especially during this show, it's really important for a patient's family to be an advocate and to bring on an advocate to make sure you're asking the right questions and just making sure to offer some healthy reminders as to what is expected, because you can't be everywhere at once when you don't have enough people for one, but knowing that every single person that is there has the best interest at heart of every single person there. Can they be everywhere at once? No, not always, but they're going to definitely do their best. And If a family member can be proactive and have the information they need, have the questions that are most pertinent and impactful, I think that that's really important.
4: Yeah, Yeah. I I agree. I mean, we often take for granted the stress of of a procedure, a general procedure or an elective procedure, not only on the patient, but family members. Uh, I did a procedure today on a patient that needs to come back um, and actually get some work, more work done. And I was listening to the family. There were about four members discussing how they were going to have to take off work and who was going to pick up so-and-so and and, and how they were going to get the other person. And, and, you know, we kind of think about it like, Oh, well, well, let's just schedule them in two weeks. I mean, and then I walk out and go on my merry way and somebody schedules them, but we don't think about the fact that you're changing someone's day. People are taking time off of work. I mean, It's pretty impactful. And so we have to be, I I always try to be a little bit more cognizant of that when I'm making, helping make decisions for patients, because it's not just about me and getting the work done. And it's not just about the patient too. It's about that support system uh, that is trying to help them.
2: And how about when you do have a patient in this situation, you're talking to the family, people who are not clinicians or physicians, how do you, in a sense, provide that information because what we find in and what we do with The Weight of My Heart, which is a nonprofit 501c3 advocacy group for people with circulation issues in their legs, known as peripheral artery disease, that people, um, sometimes the doctors dumb it down so much that the patients in the family can't even look things up on Google and get accurate information. Uh, and so how do you balance that? how do you explain things to, to the family as to what's going on? What is your, your
5: process? Yeah.
4: I mean, there's a lot of misinformation out there. And what is particularly more troubling now, in my opinion, is the immediate and instant access that patients have to their medical record uh, through the electronic medical record. And oftentimes, and I think it's good. I mean, obviously they want, to be involved in their health care, but they have access to all the documents that we have. They have access to our progress notes. We call them. That's just kind of how we assess a patient and make recommendations and things of that nature. They have access to the letters we send to other physicians. Right. And we speak in a language that, that most folks don't understand. And it becomes very problematic when patients who now they have quicker access sometimes to their chart than we do. I mean, I, we don't sit, I don't sit there and, you know, look at my in basket. It's called all the time, but patients will get a CAT scan report and it'll mention something and they'll Google it. And then next thing you know, they're calling you and saying, Oh, I, I saw, I heard, you know, I read this and do I have this? And it's, it's really, so you try to balance that. And then you also try to balance the the notion that when you talk to a patient in the office, they probably hear and understand about maybe 10% of what you say And like everybody, they gravitate towards negative statements um, and then they kind of not ignore, but just gloss over or kind of passively maybe hear the positive things. And so to answer your question, I mean, I try to be as as direct and concise as possible. Um, I always make sure to ask them at the end, do they have any questions or concerns? Uh, I, I always encourage folks to write down or if they want to record the conversation, I don't have a problem with that or call somebody and and have them listen in. And at the end of the day, I'm always, I say, listen, I, I'm the kind of the coach here. I want you to be the quarterback. Uh, You know, we can work on a playbook together and I can recommend some plays, but you know, you're going to have to help me execute them. And that usually, at least that's my shtick, so to speak, to try to get folks to be on a relatively level playing field with me. Diagrams are super helpful as well. Um, but again, yeah, you're you're trying to explain something, a complex disease, um, to somebody who has oftentimes very little understanding of what's going on, and and rightfully so are pretty anxious, and so you you play psychiatrist to your patients and psychiatrist to yourself sometimes.
2: And the more information you give, the less likely that these patients are going to be turning to Doctor Google or to groups such as. Groups that we monitor with the weight of my heart, where people start posting those results you talked about that you haven't had a chance yeah. to discuss with them personally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and They're asking a random group of peers, hey, what do you think about these results? So that can become a real So the sooner the doctors have a chance to have the conversation about those results with the patient and the more comprehensive the conversation they have with those patients, the better. Now, coming up right here on the Heart of Innovation, we are going to talk more about that and why Jenny Parakango, the daughter of a patient, came to the Weight of My Heart to seek answers to help her mom who's in the hospital even in this moment fighting for her life and limb so you don't want to miss that stay with us right here on the heart of innovation
1: Welcome back to The Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. Welcome, everybody,
4: to I think what's going to be a very impactful and emotional and hopefully educational Save My Piggies. We have Jenny, who is the daughter of a patient who's right now um, struggling to to survive, uh, who's very sick. And she's going to share the story of her mom with us. And as Kim, as you know, Save My Piggies is devoted to patient advocacy and um, really allows patients and family members to to tell their story. So let's just get into it. Jenny, welcome to the show.
5: Thank you very much, Dr. Phillips. Thank you, Kim. Hi, my name is Jenny tara I am the daughter of my mom's name, Chantal. I won't say the last name. Well, what happened is my mom um, came from Africa after post COVID. She came to see her granddaughter, which is my daughter, two years after. Brand new to, baby. A brand new baby. She came to see a brand new baby. It was an exciting moment. But unfortunately, my daughter had COVID. I had COVID. We had to put my mom elsewhere with my sister for at least. A, a quarantine time until everything's fine because she's diabetic. We didn't want to put her at risk. That's the reason why she didn't live right with me, but she she lived with my sister 10 minutes away from where I live. It was on Tuesday. I walked in there because it was my daughter's birthday and grandma didn't see the her grand, uh, grandbaby for the first time. She, we were, okay, we will go there in the morning. We're going to surprise grandma for the first time. It's your birthday. We bring in cake. You probably want to be too it was just an exciting moment. That was four days after my mom came. It was four days. She came on January 27th, and that was uh, January 31st. So we went there in the room, walking. My sister went to school. The other one went to work, and one went to school. She was home with a friend that she came with, with her friend, a friend of hers. So walking to their apartment, and nobody, everybody was quiet. When my sis previously called me and said, hey, mom threw up last night, and she was not feeling so well, but she's sleeping. I was like, Okay. I got there at nine o'clock i was thinking about going there at 12 after uh, lunch but i said no let me get there at nine o'clock and the daughter was sleeping and uh, when they are walking she was not there was no noise i said ah, maybe she's tired you know i'll let her sleep a little bit it's nine o'clock so she, if she slept at six or seven that's only two hours i'll give her a little bit more time then i'll surprise i just open the door and come in with the cake and we can just you know big happy family finally she can see her granddaughter then I tried to put my baby in bed, uh, but she didn't want to sleep. She started crying. And I was like, oh, man. that Oh, no. A she's going to wake grandma. I yeah. know. I don't want that. She messed up a surprise. So, come on, God. Aww. You know what? She's grandma. She'll be up and she'll go back to sleep later on. Because she was still having the the time difference from home and here. We have like six hour. It was like six hour difference. So, she sleeps late and wake up very, very late in the afternoon. So, I went there. I opened the room. I opened the door. Just walked in. Her friend was sitting on the floor, holding her hand, and it oh, was no. so hot. It was so hot in the room. I said, "What's going on? He's too hot." Oh no, your mom said she was cold, so I put in um, the heat on, and she even put the uh, the portable one. I said, "Really?" And I came, mom. I called her mom. She was no. I said, "Why are you sitting in the corner?" She's like, "No, she's moving. A, she's moving a lot. I didn't want her to fall off the bed, so I'm she's sitting on this corner so she won't fall off the bed." I said, since when? She said, since 8.30. And at that time, it was already 10-ish. So I went, I called mom. Mom, I was calling her name. She was not moving. She was not talking. Her eyes was just the white, the white. I, I got scared. I said, maybe her sugar went up. I looked for her sugar machine. I tried to check her sugar. I was so. I was shaking. I couldn't even find, I couldn't even hold the right to check her sugar. So I was like, maybe she's tired. Maybe she slept early. So I was just telling mom, mom, mom. And I said, Mom, look at how granddaughter was sitting. Because my, my daughter was asking, Mom, what happened? Because I start screaming. And I look on the side. of said, Mom, look at your granddaughter. She couldn't open her eyes. She was just making those moaning voices. Mm-hmm, but she's not moving, no, nothing. And I stood her up. I said, try to sit down. She was falling off on the bed. I said, yeah, this is serious. So I have to take her to the hospital. I didn't even think about calling 911 because my mind were the time to call nine one I'm freaking out the car, the 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 time that the the, the uh, yeah you the had to get to come, her I was you, so scared. you had to get her in the car how did you get her even I, in the car did you carry her I asked her for I couldn't carry her because she was a little bit heavier she's not too heavy she's like a one hundred fifty pounds, but at that time she became so heavy so I asked her friend, why didn't you call me? She said, oh the internet is not working. I said but you couldn't go out downstairs this is two hours she's been this way we don't even know if it's two hours maybe she she's been this way earlier so i started panicking i tried to take her with me i couldn't i said okay you can put on your back piggyback her we're going to my car we're putting on the car so that's what we went downstairs put in the car the car was parked in the front the er was six minutes from where they live i drove her right to the er and there it was a whole total different story. The trajectory have of her life is just kind of chaotic. Because here she, the first she thing- is
2: coming from Africa and she has yes. no insurance. She's coming to America. Yeah. And almost as you and I have talked about before, that it's yeah. a blessing. She's here in the U.S. to get care and you get to be with her and you get to advocate for her. You get to see her. She does get to see her daughters, her granddaughter and, yeah. and everything else. So when you're in the emergency room with her, what happens from that point?
5: It was, first of all, it was so scary because I was thinking she doesn't have nothing to stay here legally. She doesn't have, uh, her visa was expiring in uh, February 6th and she doesn't have assurance and bringing her to big hospital. It was a lot of bothering in my mind. So when I brought her there to the emergency room, you can just see everybody was stressed out and I didn't know what was going on. Her fever was high. Her kidney was, oh, her fever was high. And she was shaking, like shaking cold, very shivering. We had to hold her down so she won't shiver. They get all the medication. I didn't know what was going on. They didn't know what was going on. The only thing that I told the doctors were, she's diabetic. She to make sure that they know exactly what medication to give her or anything just for those first hours. They don't have no medical record. They don't have nothing, just what I'm telling them. It was very chaotic, it was very, very chaotic. We sat there, my sister and I, we sat there for 20, 24 hours straight without even sleeping. Our eyes was on the machines to see her heart rate was dropping, one of them, it dropped to 30. because the doctor say, as long as she can keep it 60 or 65, it should be fine, but it was dropping just in a second. So if they use the pressers, we didn't have an idea. They didn't say anything. Sometimes they do that. The fever was not going low. Her White blood count was going high. When we got there, it was 12. Then it went to 20. Then it went to 30. Then it went to 40. When I'm asking questions, it's getting worse. What's getting worse? What is it? The infection disease came to say she got a UTI. It was a UTI and E. coli. Now after hours to find that UTI and E. coli that went to her bloodstream then I was like, did you got did the the 'cause she was complaining of having a pain, pelvic pain. Did you get checked to see if there's anything else? And they decide, okay, we're gonna do the C T scan, like a below abdominal CT scan. When they came back she had like a her kidney was uh, infected and had like gas and water. That's what the doctor said.
2: And coming up right here on the Heart of Innovation, we're going to find out what's next and what the treatment plan is for Jenny's mom. So stay
6: with us.
4: Three years ago, my symptoms started with leg pain and leg
3: cramps while walking.
6: Me too, with a tightness in my calves. Well, do you know, my doctor thought that my leg cramps were a side effect of the statin he prescribed me.
3: Well, my doctor just brushed them off as another symptom of old age.
6: Mine thought the pain was radiating from my spine.
1: My doctor blamed my neuropathy on diabetes until I got a wound on my foot that just wouldn't heal.
6: Yeah, it turns out we all have peripheral artery disease, also known as PAD. It's plaque buildup, mainly
3: in the leg arteries causing poor circulation.
1: For me, the diagnosis came too late and I lost my leg, but that does not have to happen to you.
2: No, it does not because there are treatment options available if you're diagnosed early enough. P-A-D. Life and limb could depend on it.
1: Welcome back to The Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. Welcome back, everybody. So, Jenny,
4: I just want to make sure I understand what's going on. Mom, it sounds like, is becoming very sick. She has a urinary tract infection that has ultimately gotten into her bloodstream and because of that her blood pressure is dropping um and we use the term septic uh, but again it's just a, a a very severe infection that can lead to organ dysfunction and or failure um it sounds like the kidneys are not working um obviously in that in these situations we worry uh, about other organs failing Um, acid building up the body um, not able to you know help itself and so clearly it sounds like she's on some medication to support her blood pressure and heart rate potentially but she's she's not doing well right now is she on a breathing machine or is she um you know coherent with you and able to able to converse
5: thank god she is off of the breathing machine she's talking she's eating it just she went through surgeries that's the only now we're dealing more likely with her mental state more likely because she slept and wake up her her. that's what she said her arm is burned and her leg is burned and now the amputee die. that's the mental statement that we're dealing with right now as right, right now, now she's
4: But yes. but so during this time when she's they're still trying to work her up and and You know, it's very difficult in the emergency room because they kind of oftentimes have to take a shotgun approach to treating somebody and trying to figure out what's going on. So there's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of balls in the air. It's chaotic. But so they've got her, they've got a diagnosis. And it's my understanding that she obviously was getting very, very sick.
5: Getting very sick, yeah.
4: They made the decision that they needed to support her heart and lungs yes. by using something called ECMO. Is that is that correct?
5: Yes. So they used the ECMO and the, and the vasopressor. I mm-hmm. learned about it later on when everything was talking about amputation because I didn't know. It was not discussed. Uh, that's one sure. of the things also I realized the communication wasn't as it's supposed to be. So to support her life, that's what they did. And when they did the CT scan, they find uh they wanted to do an emergency uh, surgery with her kidney to put um I forgot the name the tube uh, on the left, right on left. Uh, yeah, left that's side, the so ECMO machine, the catheter, right? The catheter, so it can drain. They can drain the. It can drain yeah, the so they water probably or...
4: had to do a nephrostomy tube to drain. Nephrostomy, the... yes. Yeah, so I would imagine the the kidneys infected. They need to yes. try to remove the infection from that infection. yeah. But but clearly she's she's not doing well, and so the decision to put somebody on what's called ECMO, so that stands mm-hmm. for extracorporeal membrane oxygenation, which is just right. kind of a fast uh, a, a fancy term for we're taking out mm-hmm. her blood through the vein we're putting it through a machine we're oxygenating it and then we're pumping it back in through an artery so we have bypassed the heart and lung in her situation Um, and in doing so folks have pretty big tubes in their legs Um, the blood flow below where that tube is put in can often be compromised because the body i mean if you think about it right when you go outside in the cold what gets what 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 gets cold the quickest it's your hands and your toes because the right. vessels what we call vasoconstrict they clamp down and they shunt blood to vital organs kidneys, heart, et cetera, you know the core um, and in this situation it's the same thing and unfortunately, we do see patients who are on ECMO who aren't requiring medications to support their blood pressure these medications cause this what's called vasoconstriction so the vaso vessels constrict or clamp down and then when they clamp down the organ that they're giving blood flow to is not getting blood flow anymore and it's typically the the fingers and the toes and in some cases patients can lose large they can get a major amputation from it but this is all done to save the body save the brain save the heart save the kidneys um, you do rob, Peter, to pay Paul in these situations, but uh, I, I would venture to guess that if your mom was not put on ECMO, she would not be alive right now.
5: Okay. I have a question, Dr. Phillip. Yes. When ma'am. they compromise the, the extremities, the hand and the feet, is, is there any way they couldn't, like, just, like, they're doing the ECMO, they're doing the tubing, if there's any way they could just provide, like, a oxygen or blood, by blood transfusion through her extremities while doing that? To make sure that the blood flow still, you can still have a little bit of blood, uh, the blood flow instead of just letting it dry out.
4: What the only option that we have is to often put a tube in. That's so the the, so the tube that's in the artery is pointing towards her heart. Okay, and below that tube, and that tube is typically in the growing. In the what's called the femoral artery, we can put a tube pointing down towards the feet and hook up blood flow to that to provide flow into the leg that will oftentimes preserve the leg itself but in the setting of somebody who's so sick that um the vessels in order to maintain adequate blood pressure you have heavy doses of medication that's, that they're meant to clamp down and and constrict and allow for that pressure to go up, um, you oftentimes compromise the smallest arteries in the hands and the, and the toes, and there's not really much you can do about that. And, and patients lose digits and, um, it, you know, you're going to tell us, it sounds like your mom lost limbs uh, from this.
5: Yes, she did. That was one of my concerns because I was thinking about if they should preserve the big, uh, the big organs, that couldn't have done. Maybe, like you said, something to preserve, especially the hands, because the means yeah, no. can be.
4: It's it's I it's don't. unfortunate that we can't, we we that we really don't have a good way or any way for that matter to perfuse or give oxygen and nutrients and blood to to the hands in the situation where there's a lot of medications that are really clamping down those vessels.
2: Right. Um, including the vasopressors that um, also have side effects that may include complications such as the potential for amputation.
4: Yeah, that's exactly what it is. It's uh, the, the, the they're called vasopressors. Uh, but the, basically they constrict the vessels to support the blood flow and that they are the primary um, uh, kind of nitus for causing causing that constriction and then potentially leading to the amputation Uh, but again you if there's no brain if there's no heart if there's no kidneys it doesn't matter if you have hands or feet and that's the way we look at it and it may seem kind of callous but i can assure you they did whatever they could to save to save your mom and this is the collateral damage that occurs um, during, and it is a war during, during this war. To to And a couple,
2: a couple things that, that especially for people who have family members that are in ICU, they're on the ECMO machine, they're on vasopressors, et cetera. um, A couple things that we've learned, Jenny and I along the way from talking to some ECMO specialists is to make sure that they do have someone that's monitoring the gases and the, um, coagulation of the blood can you, or at least the thickness of the blood. Would you mind expanding on that and just why they have to monitor those two things?
3: Uh,
4: yeah. So you have to make sure the blood is, has a certain pH to it because um, that allows it to function in its optimal range. You have to make sure that there's certain amounts of oxygen in the blood and the carbon dioxide is being removed. So this is the it, it's called the gas exchange that's occurring outside the body. Um, and the blood also has to be very thin um, in, in most cases now getting into the weeds a little bit, but most situations of patients are on blood thinners to prevent clotting uh, and, and fairly high doses. There are some places that actually do run the ECMO. It's called an ECMO circuit without being on a blood thinner. Um, but, there are also things that we worry about are the the platelet levels and the, and the um, what are called the coagulation factors. Yes. Are they in the appropriate range? Um, and, and so it's, I mean, ECMO is not done very frequently if you think about it, but when it is, so it's done for folks that are very, very sick. And on the, ver- I mean, this is a life-saving intervention. <clears throat> and so in these situations, where there's a lot of moving parts, it's not uncommon for, you know, certain things to go wrong. And, um, you know, there are ECMO specialists. I mean, I would imagine in this situation, you have an intensive care doctor, you have the infectious disease doctors, you have potentially respiratory therapists that can run the ECMO machines or, or we call perfusionists that run them. You have a lot of cooks in this kitchen, so to speak, that are all kind of hopefully pulling the rope in the same direction to save your mom's life and and have a meaningful life. Um, and so, so coming up go, I'm sorry. right here
2: on the heart of innovation, we have so much to talk about. It's, it's just hard to take a break in a conversation like this. But coming up next, we are going to just get to the heart of what it's like to be a family member in this situation and, and feel helpless um, as, as your family members going through sitting in ICU, not knowing, you know, whether they're going to be alive, lose their life, lose their limb. And Jenny is going to um, share her experience. Hopefully, um, you will learn from that. So stay with us.
6: What does the color of your feet say about your vascular health? Hi, I'm Dr. Gary Rothenberg, a podiatrist and director of medical affairs for Podometrics, a diabetic foot diagnostic mat company. I'm coming to you this week with your medical notepad brought to you by Cardiovascular Systems Incorporated's patient advocacy campaign, Take a Stand Against Amputation and the Weight of My Heart. Today, we're talking about the color of your feet. Skin discoloration can occur to the feet and legs for a variety of reasons and can range from pale white to dark black in discoloration. Of course, we have to take into account the patient's normal skin tone, and it's a relative change in the skin discoloration that could be, again, white, purple, blue, or even dark black in discoloration. Some of these, again, based on the person's usual skin tone, can be very obvious or they can be particularly subtle and we have to pay close attention. Skin discoloration can occur for a variety of reasons, including dermatologic conditions such as eczema or psoriasis, or even skin cancers cause skin discoloration. There are also systemic issues like diabetes and peripheral arterial disease or infections that can cause discoloration as well. We all have also bumped our little toe on the nightstand and it turns usually purple, yellow, or even black from discoloration of trauma and bruising. So we do oftentimes want to pay particular attention to the discoloration, but also to any potential symptoms or signs that are associated with that discoloration. So what do I mean by that? we want to know, is there also temperature changes? So does that area of brown discoloration or purple discoloration also feel particularly cool or warm to the touch? Cool may be a sign of poor circulation. Warm may be a sign of infection. What about uh, also, is there swelling in that local area? Or is there a break in the skin? Is there... Are there bumps? Is there drainage? So not only do we want to pay attention to the discoloration, but it's like putting a puzzle together with other signs or symptoms as well. In particular, those at risk for developing uh, peripheral arterial disease and diabetes, usually we look for skin discoloration along the legs or the feet. And some common conditions may be venous insufficiency, Also, these generally present as purple or brownish patches on the lower extremity and are commonly associated with swelling and even can blister and open up into open sores. I also like to emphasize that sometimes skin discoloration is temporary, and that's what we expect. So as an example, you might be caught outdoors for a longer period of time than you expected on a cool day. You come home, and there may be some purple discoloration to your feet. Well, the next morning when you awaken, I would presume and assume that that discoloration has resolved. So again, these things that persist, that have other associated symptoms, those are particularly concerning to me as a provider, and I would encourage you to discuss with your healthcare provider. Again, I'm Dr. Gary Rothenberg. For more information on peripheral arterial disease, go to StandAgainstAmputation.com. And for real-time support and advocacy, go to TheWayToMyHeart.org. Remember, the information provided in this series are for educational purposes only. Don't act on any information provided without the explicit consent of your healthcare team who knows your situation best. Thank you.
1: Welcome back to The Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips.
2: Hi, everyone. Welcome back. We are talking to Jenny, who is sitting in a hospital room right now near her mom, who has been fighting for her life. But Jenny, you've been fighting right alongside her every step of the way. And throughout the show, we've been getting insight from Dr. Phillips about uh, the technology, the medicine behind what your mom has been going through. But for you, can you talk from your perspective, the family member watching this go go on with your mom and having to make the critical decisions?
5: Thank you, Kim. Um, It is scary. It is really scary. scary. It is very scary because you don't know. You don't know what the next doctor will come and tell you. You don't know what the next uh, approach is. You don't know what really, really—it's it, tough. You don't—you don't know. because this is new. This is life-changing. And um, as right now, maybe after because I have you, I have you know, I'm having those questions. I have another girl that I find out she went through the same situation. That's the good thing to do: do your research and find some. That's that gave me a little bit of hope. Because my mind, you're thinking about the worst. Like, okay, four limbs off. What's she gonna do? She's she's not from here. She where she's from, being empty or being a disabled person, you don't count. You do not count. You cannot work. If you wanna marry, nobody will marry you. If it was just, it's an end for you. Even for one limb, one, for you, life is done. It's over. So her coming here, waking up four days after, and now four limbs is gone. So she feel worthless. And you thinking about that, cause I'm from I'm from Africa as well. And thinking about that before even her, you think about you and you think about her and you think about your siblings. So the pain, it's just crucial. So finding someone who'd been through the same situation helps help to ask questions. How did you do this? How did you do? So you need to do your own research. Find someone, learn from them, and try to explain them to the best of their ability to understand that they still life after this. They still—it's hard even yourself. You don't accept it, but you need to make them accept that this life after this. And Gosh,
2: that must be so hard, especially it is even hard. your sisters that all of you being from the Congo and being in that culture where they just feel as though someone who loses their limbs is worthless. And you're thinking in your minds, Oh my gosh, my mom is not worthless. She means the world yes. to us. And your sister reached yes. out to us here at the yes, way to my did. heart. And that's how you and I got connected. connected and yes. Take us yes. from
5: there. So, uh, she reached out to you and she called me. She was at work. She called me like, Chen, take this number. Please call her. Call her. She called me. Please call her. I cannot be on the phone right now. She may help us save mom. She may help us save mom. live. But it is hard. Okay. It is yeah. ex- extremely hard. You can't just imagine that. So now, you know, she came to take care of her granddaughter. Now we got to take care of 110%. And also for my culture is, my culture is more likely. If um, you cannot see your mom, like, you know, fully undressed, it's bad luck. But then we in the hospital, you got to do what you got to do so she can be clean. Even though people are doing the based not the way she likes it. So you got to step in and do the, the work. While you're battling your mind, it goes, Okay, my God, what are we gonna do after here? Oh, my God, well, how can we do it? Oh, my God, like we say, work, we took off work. My sister, all my sister quit the work. Whoever goes, was going to school quit school. I didn't work for like two months now. We're like, Oh, my God, what can we do? So we have because she doesn't speak English, there's no her dialect, there's no like an interpreter here. So that means when the doctor comes speaking very clearly. Oh, she may die. So she's looking at you. what the doctor said. You gotta gasp first before try to make it to the best way possible to explain to her. You can just stand there and she start crying and she looked at you. She's like, "What's going on? What did they say?" You just like stop. It feel like your heart stop. Life mm-hmm. stops. You can do nothing no more. You are first, you are dead. That's how I felt like. I felt like a dead person. She's trying to walk. Mm-hmm. This time I was just zoned out, dark, I mean faint, but I'm just trying, I can't do this because I'm a healthcare proxy. I got to stay hard. I got to stand up because I got to stand up for her. I need to find out what's going on, how, and be like, okay, there's no assurance. There won't be a rehabilitation. You got to take her home just like this. Be careful. It's just a nightmare. It is a nightmare. It is hard. Faith, that's one thing that carried us, just faith and praying faith and praying God please protect her heart. We don't not we don't want her to give up. We can give everything we can give, but if she gave up that's it. How can you just tell convince your mom, mom, okay, you know what, just give up your limbs. It's fine. Just let them cut it off. We don't but know you used,
2: said, you used social media after that to media. find someone yes, who I would did.
5: talk to her. TikTok of I all know. things. I know TikTok because I was desperate, I was desperate at that point. Because I'm the oldest of four, I need to be strong for my mom. I need to be strong for my dad who's still back home. I need to be strong for my siblings who are here with me. I need to be strong for her family member who's still back over there asking questions. So I'll be on my phone 24/7 trying to update everybody. anybody. By the end of the day, I'm drained, and I gotta do that again the next morning with the wow. doctors who are coming. Then I was like, you know what? I know this may happen. They start looking at amputation. I need to find somebody who looks like her. Just to see what what's going on.
2: So tell I us about that look. search.
5: That search it was. It took me like a week, and I was finding. You know, I'll, I'll find someone. I'll come to talk to them. Like, oh, you know, you know, I find someone. Then I talk to them. Then if they see, like, it's normal here, but then even though I tell her, she'd be like, oh, they're from here. That's normal here they from here, that's normal. But out of the blue, I tried again, and I find that girl. I just texted her, emailed her. I go, please, girl, call me. I'm desperate. I need help. So I can at least show to my siblings, show to my mom, show to my family member to see, like, hey, look at her. She's living her life. She's running marathons. She's doing this. She's cooking. She's a mother. She's a wife. It's okay. So out of the sudden, she took my number. She called me right away she called me and since then she been a big 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 help not only for her for my mom for me to stay strong because if she did it she can do it and ask where are you from she's like oh, no i'm from kenya i was like thank god She's a believer. We are believers. So mom, look, see, she's from Africa too. And it happened to her. This is what happened with the family member. They didn't want to do the the amputation. The family was praying because it was more likely. Family are praying. The limb will come back and say, I believe to the the power of the Holy the God, everything I do. But sometimes it's here. You can see. She can have fever out of the blue We're talking she gets a fever she becomes a she becomes she lost her mind her muscles her face muscles start shaking and that's again scary it's taking me back to the day i found her the day that we went to the er it just scare your heart just stop it goes like okay i would prefer to see her in the wheelchair than just see her dead i can't so we need to convince her talk to the girl She's like, I'm willing to come down there to the hospital. If you come to give her a little bit of motivation, I will be there to come just so I can motivate her to do this because I'm like this and I'm leaving. It's okay. And I'm going to walk you guys through all the all, everything you need. So she's been calling FaceTime. She's been the prosthetic. She's actually showing us, I got some three or four you can use. So the big problem was more likely when they do the amputation to save the 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 knees and the elbows and that was a hard problem too because the doctor was suggesting below the uh, above the knees and above 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 the elbow. I fight so hard for that. I don't care how long it takes. You got to do below the knee. No, your because my mom she's fifty five. No, she may no her chance of walking is very slim. She's uh, seeing her age. Seeing um, we don't think she will use her limb no more. She will be well wheelchair bent. And every day my mom be like. I prefer being dead than being in a wheelchair. I was like, so what am I doing here? What am I going to do? What am I, what are we going to do? So we support each other. My siblings and I, we support each other. We had like two, two, me and my other sister, other we, we say, okay, fine. We'll do the amputation. We'll see what's going on after that. The other two was like, there's no way they'll do the amputation. I'm sorry. Even though I'm a, I'm a healthcare proxy. I just need the approval of all three of them because we're still going through the same thing. I cannot just put them in the dark. I need to make them understand so we can do the work. It it, it was hard. And I have still- That's a lot of pressure on you. Yeah. It is a lot of pressure. And the doctor, when you see the kidney doctor come talk to you, the blood doctor come talk to you. You have a doctor who's telling you, oh yeah, she may die on the table when you do the surgery. (sighs) Okay, what am I supposed to do? And oh, she doesn't have a lot of blood. She, we, we, that one—that's one thing we have to—you have to battle for negativity.
2: Okay. Well, coming of right here on the Heart of Innovation, we're going to find out where her mom right is right now in her journey and what's next. So stay with us.
1: Welcome back to the Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips.
4: So, Jenny, during the break, you were sharing with us that as it stands right now, your mom has lost both her upper extremities but above the elbows and the right leg below the knee. And tomorrow she's having surgery on the left leg, and they have to decide... Whether or not it's going to be above or below the knee?
5: Yes. Uh, for the, the, extreme, the upper extremity, she did have, uh, it's below the elbow. Oh, below the elbow. I'm sorry. Yes. yes. Okay. Slightly below the elbow. And her left leg, it was below the knee. She has a no surgery. She has a no surgery tomorrow, which we're hoping to be below the knees as well. And if she can have some mobility, you know, flexibility to do.
4: Right. So I just think
5: she she, that.
4: like put put us in I, we we it's hard to walk a mile in your shoes or let alone your mom's but uh, i you know listening to you and uh, I'm kind of taking aback on how focused you seem to be um, you know there is a task at hand and you have to kind of execute that task, meaning get mom through point, you know, get her through this and get her through that and just kind of move and march forward. Um, Where did you get that inner resolve from? I'm assuming from your parents. So mom must have the same inner resolve too. So it sounds like she has that will to survive and you guys are going to keep fighting and and she's going to do okay. Right.
5: Yes. 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 She wants to fight because at the end of the day, when we, we didn't beg. what I started, I started for the doctor. We we're like, oh, we're going to tell her we're going to have a stentication. I said, no, you know, she won't understand your language. she understand how we, as her daughter, explaining to her. First of all, we'll start by encouraging her, how strong she is. You know, we know how to play around that area so we can talk to her. Then we can bring up the the surgery, uh, the surgery matter. Before bringing that up, i the pictures, the video that I find for the girl that I found on TikTok, she's showing her this life. Look at this book. Look at this teacher. She's doing this. She lost her, you know, just to do those prep before telling her exactly what's going on. But it was not sitting well with the doctors. It, it, it was a whole chaos before. The, literally, I wasn't there. The bro like uh, interpreter. The brought everybody came to her, talked to her. And she refused to talk to them. I said, you know, I want my mom to leave. I'm not going to lie to her. It just it takes time for us to explain to her, to, for her to understand what's going on. Because as ourselves, we don't understand what's going on. We know just it happened. We were not prep for this. We were not prepared for the pressures we're going to do. You know, it was just out of a sudden it came. All oh, we do our pre Go the do, OTPT. Do you,
4: sorry to interrupt, but we only <laughs> have about a minute left. Do you have a new mission in life now?
5: I do. I, I do. I do. I absolutely do. If oh, I came, <laughs> mm-hmm. Ad, patient advocate, it's something that I'm called. Uh, that's my calling. I need to do that. If I had people on, on my side came and the one I find on TikTok helped me throughout the journey and I'm helping my siblings to understand and I'm helping her and it's going a little bit easier than I thought it would be. Not easier, but it's going positively than I thought it would be. It was a try. And why can I not do it for all the people, or the patient, yeah, or the family? Yeah, you feel like there's a purpose, yes. right? It's a purpose. It's the purpose because without the help, I don't know who will go crazy—absolutely crazy—because we don't know. This is a new life. This is a new era. This is a new. It's, everything is new. We don't know how to do it, but having someone next to you to understand, understand what you're going through and give you the good advice and just guide you—it's very, very helpful it's very helpful that you can't even imagine because it gives, it gives me the strength to help my family. Yep. And
2: now Jenny and I are on this next phase of this journey and we are launching limbless and living through the Way of my heart. And we are going to find new initiatives And new innovation that are helping those who are limb different. So make sure you go to thewaytomyheart.org and send us a message through there and ask to subscribe to this new initiative that we are doing so that we can help Jenny, her mom, and so many others limb different and thrive thank you everyone for joining us thank you so much jenny for sharing your story for your courage for your perseverance we appreciate you so much
5: thank you thank you very much kim thank you dr phillips thank you (laughs) jenny
4: Jenny, uh, you're an inspiration and as is your mom so
1: good luck tomorrow
5: Thank you very much, Dr. Phillips. I appreciate
1: that. You've been listening to The Heart of Innovation with Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips.
0: This show is distributed by the Innovators Network. For more information and other great shows and content, visit theinnovators.network.